Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Everything Kratom, the podcast about anything and everything Kratom. Got a good episode lined up for you today. Today we're going to be talking about the eight-factor analysis that the AKA is posting about right now. It's an update on a 2018 report, which was an update on the 2016 report which I like to see because new research is good research and to keep things updated means that you keep you maintain your validity really so happy to see this happy to see it's updated again and so let's hop into it so this is the abuse potential of kratom according to the eight factors of the controlled substances act implications for regulation and research that's the title of the report and I read through this report. It's a, you know, it's a pretty thick report. It goes on for about, mm, I don't know, 55, 56 pages, 57 page report. I read through it yesterday and uh, it was really interesting. I thought that the takeaways were pretty well crafted um, that, you know, the takeaways that they list out. Uh, I had one or two additional ones myself. But overall, it was a pretty positive report, and uh, seemed like it, it has some real scientific backing. So I'm glad to see that, but um, of course, I always read through things myself, and uh, there are a few things that I found to be played down a little bit. But overall, really great, super sciencey, which is always fun and easy to read, ha ha ha. But um, great, let's jump in. So, this the first part, there's an acknowledgement disclosure. It says, this update of the Henning Field at All 2018 Kratom Abuse Potential Assessment Review is required to account for the significant number of new research studies that have been completed that collectively adds to the body of scientific evidence about the Kratom plant and its constituent alkaloids. Okay, good. Then, background. Um... And I'm kind of summarizing what the report says because there's, you know, number of paragraphs for all these sections or a few pages or more. So I kind of picked um, out some of the main things that I thought people would find interesting if you didn't want to read the whole report yourself. So here's some background. The 2018 heading field Fong Wong Kratom Abuse Potential Assessment was based on a 2016 assessment developed by Dr. Henningfield and colleagues at Penny Associates to inform the United States Drug Enforcement Administration and Food and Drug Administration in their assessment as to the most appropriate regulatory approach to Kratom and whether listing Kratom, specifically its alkaloids, metragenine and 7-hydroxymetragenine, in Schedule 1 of the Controlled Substances Act was warranted and in the interests of public health. This is great. Um, we concluded that... what. 
there was no evidence of an immediate threat to public health, which is a requirement for temporary or emergency scheduling, and that Kratom was not like opioids in its safety and addiction risks. Okay, that was one of its takeaways. Another one, nature got it right. Quote unquote all of this. There is a convergence of studies showing that the main natural constituent of Kratom that accounts for the reasons people use Kratom is metragenine, which carries relatively low abuse and health risks. 7-hydroxymetragenine naturally occurs at very low levels, and product standards should prevent marketing of products with levels higher than those that appear to carry little risk. Alright you guys, that one's important and I want to get into that um, in a little bit as to why that's so important, but that pops up throughout the report. There's a really interesting new research into this. 7-hydroxymetragenine is not the same as metragenine, all right? And that's what this report is putting out there that I think it needs to even emphasize more uh, and that people need to realize. 7-hydroxymetragenine has been shown to have very different um, negative associative effects than just metragenine, but only at higher levels, which it doesn't naturally occur in. So that's kind of like a sneak peek of what I'm going to get into later here, but um, super interesting, everybody. I thought that was interesting. Okay, another um, thing that it's saying here, uh, another takeaway, animal drug self-administration, physical dependence, and withdrawal studies show low abuse potential and withdrawal risks from Kratom relative to opioids. That's kind of the thing that I have a little bit of beef with when it comes to this. Um, so much of this is comparing Kratom to opioids. I get it because it's hard when, you know, the primary reason that the FDA is always citing of why this thing needs to be made illegal is because it's similar to its abuse potential and yada yada as to opioids. People are using it instead of opioids. So I get how it's kind of hard to talk about without relating it to opioids. But I feel like when you're talking about abuse and withdrawal potential and just like dangers of a, of a substance that's new, quote unquote new, new, you shouldn't be comparing it to something that everyone already knows is dangerous. Like, we should just be looking at it on its own. Does that make sense? That's just something that, that I, you know, keep on coming back to in my mind. I'm not sure that it's the best idea to constantly be comparing Kratom to things that we already know are, you know, have a high potential for abuse, high potential for withdrawal, and overdose, yada yada. So if you're already comparing it to something that's really wild, uh, anything is going to look less crazy, <laughs> if that makes sense. Anyway, that's something to keep in mind. Okay, so now let's jump into the data here. This is actually cool because they, they reference a lot of studies. They go into specifics. They say what the scientists themselves, you know, took away from their own studies and how the studies were conducted. Um, really thorough. Loved it. Uh, okay, numerous surveys and field studies of Kratom users have been conducted in the U.S. and Malaysia. These new studies largely confirm... The earlier large U.S. surveys on Kratom consumer usage patterns published by Dr. Grunbin in 2017. All right, so this is cool. This is getting into demographics. Most Kratom users are 30 to 50 years old, employed, have some college education, and have health insurance. <laughs> All right, interesting. Leading reasons for use are to self-manage pain, depression, anxiety, 
to increase focus and alertness analogous, analogous to caffeinated beverage use, and to self-manage opioid and other substance use disorders to relieve craving and withdraw, and often the pain that motivates such drug use. Okay. The primary active constituent of kratom, metragenine, and this is kind of another takeaway from them, does not produce the signature powerfully rewarding and lethal respiratory depressant effects that characterize morphine-like opioids. That's pretty significant because in all of these, you know, the few cases where kratom is the only substance referenced in the reports of death, and of course, as I've talked about in the past, even with those, the authorities admit themselves that they can't rule out other chemicals or substances that they just didn't test for. So take that as you will. But um, in all those reports, you know, respiratory depression ends up being like what they say is, you know, caused by kratom and is what ultimately finishes these six or seven people off. So the fact that these studies are showing that they do not find any lethal respiratory depressant effects, uh, you know, that's an important thing to, to pull out of this report. Okay, here's kind of one of the other primary takeaways from the report, and it says, Kratom regulation would be better informed by scientific and public health information exchange and active collaboration among all these departments, you know, CDC, DEA, FDA, NIDA, and the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Kratom science should be accelerated by increased Kratom research funded to NIDA as well as to support increased surveillance that is specific to Kratom. As in other areas of science and public health, progress and process would likely be improved if federally funded Kratom research had input and possibly oversight by a multi-agency task force and with an annual report developed with updates on the state of Kratom science and annual surveillance. Um, so this is cool because they're like recommending that there should be a lot more research through the government so the government can have its little nitty-gritty hands on it and see for themselves, you know? I mean, that's a good recommendation. Okay. An important development that relates to overall safety, health benefits, and risks of Kratom use is a regulatory and policy update that is not included in the science updates. At the time of this writing, five states, Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Utah, and Oklahoma, have enacted laws referenced as the Kratom Consumer Protection Act, or the KCPA. The KCPA establishes a regulatory framework to protect consumers from unsafe and adulterated Kratom products that by requiring manufacturers strict adherence to good manufacturing standards to ensure purity, uh, requires testing for contaminants, prohibits adding any dangerous substances to Kratom products, this is a key one for me, forbids boosting the alkaloid levels of metragenine and 7-hydroxymetragenine over those present in the natural kratom plant, bars synthesizing any of the alkaloids, requires registration and product testing, prohibits any therapeutic health claims, and forbids sales to minors. These KCPA laws provide needed consumer protection for consumers. Okay, now it gets into therapeutics and talking about how technically kratom cannot be talked about as a therapeutic thing because there's a process where it needs to go through to be considered therapeutic. 
and so it says it can't be defined as that the new drug application which needs to be um basically submitted and approved for kratom uh through this process the new drug application must be supported by substantial evidence of effectiveness and is defined as evidence consisting of adequate and well-controlled investigations essentially what that means folks is that to actually be considered therapeutic by the government kratom is going to require one billion dollars in 10 years of testing as far as i can tell um so that's not going to happen uh says regardless of actual level of abuse potential and public health risk if it is determined that a substance warrants controlled substances act uh scheduling and it is not approved for therapeutic use by the fda only schedule one is an option so that's between a rock and a hard place all right this is something um else that i that i wanted to say before we get into the science Public lit- this is what it says in the report. Public literature was attained by internet searches and a direct request for the most recent published and accepted for publication studies of more than 20 of the leading Kratom research centers and research leaders worldwide. I kind of wish that some of the research centers were completely new to testing Kratom. Just, you know, just as another way to get an independent third-party analysis of it. But still, the research is done well. Like That's not to take away from what's in this report. It's more of just my own personal thing i just want you know as many ways of looking at this as possible so that the government can't say oh you didn't do this or that okay so now we're getting into the science so some of the studies found an innate difference in products that are just kratom leaves unaltered or you know ground into a fine powder and then those that are extracts and have been altered to contain more of one alkaloid over another all right this is really important so you know they have they say there's data that suggests why natural kratom leaf based kratom products extracts and tea-like decoctions might differ in the effects experienced by kratom users from more refined extracts as explained by the authors of this study they say interestingly the exposure of metragenine when it is dosed orally in rats as kratom tea, or the organic fraction obtained from kratom tea, uh, increases by 1.5 and 1.8 fold, respectively. Okay, so the exposure of metragenine increases when it's natural. The kratom tea and organic fraction contains all the alkaloids that would be present in the plant, including speciosiliatine. These results indicate that the presence of other alkaloids found in the traditional preparation have influence on the pharmacokinetics of metragenine. Similarly, the pharmacokinetic parameters of uh, speciosiliatine, when dosed in combination with the other natural occurring alkaloids, may be altered. Further research is needed. That's super interesting. They are saying that if you take Kratom naturally, you actually get more metragenine intake than if you're taking an extract that's been, you know, hyper-targeted towards metragenine. You're still, I mean, you're getting more metragenine in the second case, but in terms of your actual absorption rate, it actually is a higher respective absorption rate when it's just natural. Isn't that cool? And they're wondering when that, if that has to do with these other alkaloids that, you know, 
like the speciociliotine, which isn't really like one of the alkaloids I hear about ever, maybe that's helping with absorption. That'd be really fascinating. We definitely should know more about that. Why people use Kratom is a little bit biased based on the questions that follow. That's also an interesting takeaway. So surveys that focus on Kratom use in opioids or Kratom use in pain find high rates of opioid use motivated in large part to replace opioids. But then you also have this Grundman 2017 survey that found that most Kratom users were not opioid users. And similarly, the survey presented by Henningfield at all at the American College of neuropsychopharmacology meeting with more than 14,000 respondents found that most people used for reasons that were not related to opioids and addiction. So it kind of seems like we don't really have a clear reporting uh, framework in place for this, but I do have a feeling more people use it for opioid-related things than not. Um, But who knows? I mean, it's an emerging field of information, so important to take into account. Okay, now we're getting into the nitty-gritty of um, addiction and dependence. There have been new research findings, a systematic review, and a review by an international consortium of Kratom experts that contribute to a significant advance in knowledge on the psychic and psychological dependence potential of Kratom. Here's one study. Kratom withdrawal symptoms resemble the opioid withdrawal syndrome. Okay, Extent data suggests that Kratom's withdrawal syndrome is uncomfortable, but generally milder and of shorter duration than is characteristic of opioid withdrawal. Regarding dependence, it's concluded, there is good evidence that kratom dependence is typically less severe than opioid dependence, with which kratom shares some mechanisms of action. Moreover, unlike opioids, kratom use does not appear to result in significant respiratory depression and is thus far less likely to cause fatal overdose. They then go on to say that regular use of kratom, particularly at higher doses, can lead to tolerance and dependence. Okay. So, there's some cons. Okay, then, they did some studies uh, concerning the intake of metragenine and morphine. Physical dependence with naloxone challenge tests and metragenine's effectiveness at reducing morphine withdrawal were evaluated. These studies found little evidence of physical dependence or withdrawal as compared to morphine and evidence of potential therapeutic benefits of metragenine for treating opioid withdrawal consistent with human reports. They concluded, The discontinuation of metragenine was not associated with the disruption of scheduled behavior in rats. This suggests that metragenine, or analogs, might be further investigated as potential therapeutic drugs for treating uh, opioid withdrawal. Uh, The findings from the study suggest that discontinuation of metragenine is not associated with overt withdrawal effects. Okay, now this is looking at some other studies. Um, They provided an assessment of Kratom's abuse potential with the IV rat self-administration model, which is the most predictive animal model for reinforcing effects and abuse potential according to the FDA themselves. Okay, this study that they're talking about now is a study the FDA would right bow down to and take as pure great research okay so this is research that the fda is all about and they use every day according to this research 
The present findings indicate that metragenine does not have abuse potential and reduces morphine intake. Desired characteristics of candidate pharmacotherapies for opioid addiction and withdrawal. Okay, here's the kicker. Whereas 7-hydroxymetragenine should be considered a kratom constituent with high abuse potential that may also increase the intake of other opioids. What? It is important to note that the reinforcing human dose equivalents of 7-hydroxymetragenine in rats were many times higher than would be tolerable for humans, and that 7-hydroxymetragenine is present at or near the minimis, de minimis levels in kratom leaves and most marketed products. Their findings support the recommendations that marketed kratom products should not contain more than 1-2% to 7-hydroxymetragenine, the highest concentration found naturally in plants, and that does not provide reinforcing or harmful effects. This is the approach adopted by states that passed Kratom Consumer Protection Act laws to regulate Kratom. So that is, that's crazy to me. Like, this whole time, people are talking about how, you know, proponents of Kratom are saying that there's no abuse potential and it's perfectly safe. And based on this report and all these scientific studies, something keeps popping up. Yes. Kratom naturally as is harmless or nearly harmless. Okay, there's some studies that are showing actual withdrawal, a little bit of habit forming addiction. So that's possible. Mind you, you know, these mice and rats are getting pumped so full of it that it's probably coming out of their ears. Um, but, but that's something to think about. Anyway, the takeaway from the report is naturally it's fine, give or take. But if you increase the 7-hydroxymetragenine, that has a high potential for abuse. And this study saying it even makes these rats go after other opioids even more. (laughs) So I think that's just fascinating. And it's something that everyone should take away from, from this report is that if you're getting something with altered alkaloids, think twice about it. Because... 7-hydroxymetragenine is not metragenine, and they're finding in high, high levels, it's bad. Like, it's actually bad. So, everyone should be aware of that, and stay natural. So, overall, this report was fascinating to me. It had some pros and cons on Kratom, but my takeaways, I think, would be this. Kratom taken naturally, in other words, not altering the chemical composition or makeup of alkaloids in any way, and not used heavily every single day, is completely safe in people okay metragenine seems like it has no dangers whatsoever 7-hydroxymetragenine seems to be the culprit for any potential cons when it comes to side effects addiction and withdrawal and only when taken in larger quantities than is naturally found in the kratom plant it should not be prevalent in any product more than one to two percent A regulatory framework like the Kratom Consumer Production Act or something similar that exists in Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Utah, and Oklahoma is a really good idea, and that will ensure that the products are safe and unaltered in any meaningful way that would cause harm, and it also ensures accountability. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, and this is the most scientific way I can say this, the FDA needs to get its head out of its butt and smell the flowers. I'll let you all figure out what that means for yourselves. 
um i think this was a really cool report definitely worth worth looking into lots of studies that i didn't mention but i tried to read through it and kind of pull out some of the more interesting things from it and try to not sugarcoat it because i think that there are some negative you know some cons when it comes to kratom that are in this report which i do appreciate that they list in this report and uh everyone should do their own research uh with that said i'm also pleasantly surprised with their findings and i think that it's seeming more and more likely that kratom taken naturally uh really doesn't seem to be too harmful folks it's not to say that there aren't risks of harm of harm and especially for those who use it every day and at higher doses i think that you actually are asking for a little bit of harm down the road maybe but um but maybe lower doses every day or taking it just every few days or every week uh i honestly don't see one issue with it at this point so those are my takeaways um be careful about uh, the alkaloid content everybody that's something else i think is really important but overall interesting report all right thanks everybody for listening this time and uh talk to you later bye bye